Hello, and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast Pitchfest 2020 series. I'm Nick Shirelli. Thanks for joining me. Late last year, OIO ran the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2020. We were inundated with almost 200 applications from 38 countries and were blown away by the incredible breadth and quality of ideas and ventures that applied, all trying to make a positive impact on planet Ocean. Over the course of this Pitchfest 2020 series of the Ocean Impact podcast, we'll dive into the challenge and opportunity areas that each of the finalists are working on, find out about their unique solution, and discuss the key challenges and learnings they've encountered on their journey so far. We'll also discuss their why, their motivation for working towards a healthy ocean, what the road ahead looks like for them, and how you, the listener, might be able to support their journey. This week, I'm talking to Dan Watson, who is the founder and CEO of the UK-based startup SafetyNet Technologies. SafetyNet Technologies were one of 12 finalists from almost 200 applicants in the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2020. Did you know that up to 40% of total fish catch worldwide is unintentionally caught bycatch? According to WWF, this includes annually 300,000 small whales and dolphins, 250,000 endangered loggerhead turtles and critically endangered leatherback turtles, 300,000 seabirds and billions of fish. This leads to great environmental, economic and ecological cost as oceans are being depleted, coastal communities suffer and the increasing demand for ocean protein is not being met. But did you also know that different species of fish react to different types of light in unique ways? Well, SafetyNet Technologies designs and builds solutions that enable sustainable practices in the fishing industry by using light to either attract a target fish or repel non-target fish. SafetyNet's flagship product is called Pisces. It's a simple to use, affordable LED device that retrofits onto any existing fishing net. It helps fishermen attract the size and species of fish they're licensed to catch while repelling non-target species. And SafetyNet claim that Pisces can reduce bycatch by up to 90%. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Dan Watson on the Ocean Impact podcast, Pitchfest 2020 series. Hi, Dan, and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. I know it's early over there in the UK. Um, uh, excited to talk to you today about safety net technologies. You guys are, are doing some really good stuff and have been um, working in this space for a little while now. So, look, let's get straight into it. Tell, tell us a little bit about the problem uh, that safety net is, is solving. Yeah, so SafetyNet is working on the idea of bycatch. So bycatch is where uh, in the fishing sector, people are catching uh, non-marketable or, or non-commercial or endangered species of uh, marine creatures. And those, those catch are then thrown back into the ocean if they're the wrong type of thing, or they're kept on the boat and brought back and landed. But essentially the whole point of what we're doing is to try and leave those species in the sea in the first place. So when the nets go into the water or the fishing gear, um, let's make sure that fishermen can only catch the right fish 
uh, rather than bringing everything else onto the boat where it usually has a high chance of dying um, before it's thrown back and, and sort of being wasted and severely impacting ecosystems uh, in the ocean. Yeah. So we do that by building hardware, sorry, I probably <laughs> say that like the hardware we build essentially uses lights to, to try and cut down on that, uh, on that bycatch by attracting and repelling different species. So when you put the lights into the gear, you can use the behavioral response of different animals, like an emergency escape sign almost, to guide some of them out of the fishing net and keep the ones that you're actually trying to target. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Um, so what, what's your background? You're, you're an engineer of some, some kind? Yeah, so my background is mechanical engineering um, and product design. And so when I studied that, the, the interesting mashup was looking at how you could come up with a technical solution, but based on real user needs. So the design side was really getting out there and speaking to end users, using human-centered design processes to figure out like, what is the real pain point here? What is it that actually someone needs and how would they use it? And where does the value sort of lie for them? And then the engineering part was how do you build something that really solves that problem for properly, right? How do you make something sustainable out of it? And, and what what other existing solutions, if any, are out there? What 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 are you up against in terms of um, competing products, if any, that fishermen can use to reduce bycatch? The world of, of bycatch reduction has changed quite a lot, um, largely due to more science work being done on this. Um, when SafetyNet started, it was mainly around gear design. So it was like, how do you change the mesh panels on a fishing net? How do you make them bigger, smaller? How do you make a hole in a particular place that the, the, the fish can escape through um, that you're not looking to catch? Uh, but what's happened really more recently is that things have moved to more sort of sensory areas. So what do the fish see? What do they hear? How do they respond to different water currents? And how can you use technology or build technology that can really make use of those behavioral responses. And so there's things out there like sound, like pingers that can be attached to different fishing gears to, to help dolphins know when they shouldn't be swimming into things. Um, we see more things around management as well, like where should a vessel fish and where shouldn't it fish? And can you guide them in a way that means that they have a much lower chance of catching bycatch in the first place so that you've got a, a better chance of catching a clean catch. And then what we're doing around light is more on the visual side of things. So can you put this emergency escape sign in there that really shows the way out for a very particular species while keeping the target catch going? And all of those things um, sound complementary to me rather than yeah, competitive. Absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, completely. And, and so SafetyNet has started off as a company that builds lights for fishing gears. And we've moved much more towards this, this thing we're calling precision fishing. And that gives us a much broader scope for technology development. So lights are one part of it. Um, we could combine that with other things like changes in gear design, like increased data access. So if we see how vessels are fishing over time and where they're really interacting with these bycatch species, can we make sure that a fishing vessel is in the right place, fitted with Pisces if it needs it for a particular species and fishing in particular ways? And it becomes much more precision fishing, like precision agriculture, um, it's sort of a merge of lots of different technologies to, to make the best strategy for fishing. Sure. And I mean, look, it's a well understood problem, but, you know, we will go there for a moment. I mean, we, we talked about this just a moment ago before we started the recording. And I, I mentioned that the WWF talks about up to 40% of all fishing catch being bycatch. You guys are a little bit more conservative around a 20% number on, on your website and so forth. Either way, we're talking about an extraordinary amount of um, wasted 
um, uh, protein, if you want to look at it just as a food source, but it's also an ecological disaster um, and an increasing one, right, as we head to nine, 9 billion people on the, on the planet shortly and an increasing amount of pressure on the ocean to provide protein um, to this increasing population, it's, it's a problem we need to deal with. And um, it's fantastic that, that there's a variety of different players, including yourselves, looking at different ways that we can try and try and solve the problem. Yeah, I think we can't, we can't get away from the fact that the population is growing and we've used up a lot, if not all of the land that we have available in terms of feeding people. And the ocean is a really, really good option for feeding a growing population um, if we manage it properly. And I think anyone you talk to, whether it's in the fishing sector or the general public, will know of this issue of bycatch. And the numbers vary between people, but it is a significant problem for everyone involved and one that needs solving if we're going to do this sustainably into the future. So yeah, absolutely. The numbers that you, that you see may change, but figuring out how that we get them down as low as possible to keep the ocean healthy and so that we all thrive with it rather than completely destroying it um, is, is super important. And that's why we do what we do. That's great. Well, that's a really good segue into my next question, which is more about, um, you know, your why and, and, and tell us a little bit about your, you know, the, your personal motivation for um, tackling this problem. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of, of Safety Net and, and the journey over the last 10 or 11 years, I think it is. 10, ten years, around 10, yeah, 10 or 11. So, so I was a student and there were issues in the press about the fact that the fish supply chain was, was really damaging and there were lots of things going on with people catching the wrong fish. And what started to happen is pressure from the public meant that regulations were changing and people were actually getting arrested. So in Scotland, where I was studying, um, fishing crews were being arrested for catching the wrong fish and throwing it back into the water when they got caught. And looking at the problem as someone who'd been told as a student, hey, go and find something to solve for a year for your master's. Um, this came up and it was like, wow, this is crazy. How, after thousands of years of fishing, can we not find a way to put nets in the water and only catch what we want? Like we have technology all over the world and we're still catching the wrong things. And so I'm going to fix this in a year because I'm a student, I'm going to change the world. And uh, anyway, it took a bit longer, as you know. Um, but looking into the science, there were loads of really cool things about like, okay, what could um, what can we do to make fish want to escape? And light had been investigated this, by this guy up in Scotland who'd seen fish reacting differently to lights. And essentially this research had then, it been used a bit, but it hadn't really been scaled up. So for me, it was like, how do we scale this up and use this in fishing gears in a way that fishing crews actually want and can use. Um, and then it doesn't make their lives harder, right? It makes life better for everyone. So that was really where that genesis came from and the drive to try and do something around this space. And give us a little bit of a picture of what the last 10 years have looked like. So you were, you were a student at the time, you were doing your master's, I think it was, uh, that took up a year, you know, roll through the next 10 years in, in a couple of minutes, bring us up to speed. Sure. Um, yeah, so the master's, my master's finished. I had some, some sort of prototypes that have described what I was trying to do and I went off to do some more studies in, in London. And in the meantime, in the background, I carried on building prototypes. So I'd go to hack spaces and like sit on the lathe all day and try and build the first escape ring, it was called then, which was a, a slightly different shape of what we have now with lights. Um, and then what really kicked it and gave us some momentum was winning the James Dyson Award in 2012. So 
I have to say, like, the, the, there was some funding behind that that was useful. But honestly, the biggest drive was the media side of things, like getting the message out there. So so things like this, really, like where more people get to know about what you're doing and can really come in and help and get in touch with things that they, they can be useful for. So that meant there were scientists getting in touch because of press coverage that they'd read. Um, there were people who were looking to see what resources they could supply to the project. And I was still studying at this time. So that carried on and sort of more traction happened. And then over the years, working another sort of full-time job alongside it in the space sector, I was still going home and working on this in the, in the background and sending emails, setting up projects and going for funding. And then probably about six or seven years in, having built a few first prototypes and done some trials, um, I was joined by a couple of co-founders who are now directors in safety net. So the first to join was Aaron Dasan, who's our CTO, who actually managed to build things that didn't catch fire, which was amazing. Like he, <laughs> he's a very, very talented person and like, yeah, absolutely like incredible that he was able to join and, and make things work. And then joined by Nadia Labs, who on the business side basically was like to me and Aaron, you guys have built something here. The science looks good. The technology seems to be working. Like, why aren't you selling this? Like, why don't people understand the value behind it? Why aren't we in the market? She's like, I'll fix this in, in six months for you guys. Four years later, <laughs> we're launching the thing. And uh, and like, hey, all credit to her. It wasn't her fault. Like, it's just been slow. Yeah, all that behavioral change and stuff takes time and showing that value. Um, but, you know, we're still there. We have a team of about 14 or 15 people now. We have some interesting like funding streams coming in to do more R&D in this area. And Pisces is finished. Like the product line has been set up and we have a, a certified and validated product that we can start selling to people. And so this is March 2020. And we're like, let's go. Let's take it to the market and go have some impact. And March 2020, obviously, COVID, everything kicks off. Fishing vessels get grounded. And we're at this point where we're like, OK, now, now we have to find a new way to do this stuff. Yeah, it's been a challenging year for, uh, well, for just about every industry on, on the planet, hasn't it? We're all trying to work out new ways to to move forward. And um, it's it's tricky, right? Because uh, you can sit around and think about it as, as, as much as you can, but there's just so much flux still in the world that uh, I think the concept, in fact, I was having a discussion um, only last week with, with a pretty well-credentialed um, CEO, and he said the idea of um, 12 month strategic plans and, and even beyond that, he said it's just out the window in the current environment. If you're planning any more than a quarter ahead um, and, and you actually think that you can, you, you know, you can lock that in to any degree, then um, you're really kidding yourself. So there's a real need to be flexible. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was the crowdfunding campaign that you ran Um my understanding is that that funded your first, um, you know, physical prototypes of, of Pisces. Um, to, to, I mean, why the decision to crowdfund? Is that, is that because you saw that um, there was good appetite from the public to support such a, a the, you know, the vision and the large problem that you're going after? I think, yeah, I think so. At the time, we'd seen a few other people go through crowdfunding that had, had some success in raising in raising the money they needed to do things. And I think crowdfunding probably a bit like investment. Like if you know what you want to achieve with it, if you can put a really strong experimental thesis out there to the, to the world and be like, hey, we really think this can be really good. And we've got this great team of people and some plans to go build this stuff. And the big gap for us is, is capital. And honestly, like a, a relatively small amount of capital, it, was, it was, ended up being, we went for about 50,000 um, pounds. I say relatively small because I mean, you look at funding rounds now and they're huge, right? And for hardware, actually, that was pretty lean. 
just for us to build some devices to go out there and test the science. So we thought we're doing something cool. Loads of people have told us they love what we're doing. They like the mission. And why don't we see if in exchange for like some t-shirts or some kudos or whatever, people will help us actually get that. Or any of the fishing companies wanted to like dump in and like give us a bit of cash to get us closer to in an informal way. So that was really why we went for that to try and sort of draw on that. Um, obviously people like the Ocean Cleanup had done really well in the past in the ocean space where the investor scene really wasn't there for early stage companies trying to bridge that gap from like, here's a cool project where I've 3D printed one to I need like a hundred of these things to go and prove out with end users and scientists that like it's, it's useful and effective. So crowdfunding seemed like a way that the public could help us do that. Um, in reality, uh, it was a huge amount of work. I mean, it was, we've actually employed a consultant part-time to help us with that um, during the process. And even with her support, like the amount of work on the team to like produce assets and monitor the stuff and get it out there and make sure people knew. And this whole thing of like having to show people seven times before they commit funds, like really rang true. And it was, it was hard work to get that funding through probably as much work as we did in our seed round later on. Um, but it helped us. It, it made, meant we could build the things and we got them out there and that further invigorated like the science community and other people to come and get in touch and say, what's next, essentially. So it was a good springboard. And you build your network of supporters, right, from very early on and those people that are really tied to your to your mission and, and invested in your vision. It's, um, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people in this space now and, and you know, crowdfunding is a common theme. Um, you know, there's there's equity crowdfunding, there's um, there's project crowdfunding like, like you did, but increasingly we're seeing use of what I refer to um, amongst my team as the crowd and, you know, your community and, and leveraging, I suppose, the support that those people can provide in any number of ways. And that can be um, as investors, it can be as potential customers, um, as um, pressure on regulators where we want to see change. And a lot of the time that is a common theme in um, environmental impact initiatives where we deal with this thing that, um, you know, it's a, it's a public good and the ocean is, uh, suffers from this also, right? There's, there's quite a lot of situations where, you know, there's, it's not just a matter of getting a product to a customer, it's getting a product to a customer um, via pressure on regulators to bring in legislation, um, via consumer um, awareness. Um, it's, it's a whole chain. So it's, it's, I'm increasingly seeing um, startups really focusing on identifying who their crowd of supporters is and working out how best they can, you know, they can leverage those supporters to achieve their mission. Absolutely. And we saw this in certainly in the UK and Europe with people like Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. This was actually 10 years ago where he launched the Fish Fight campaign, which was really saying, like, we've had enough of, of harmful fishing practices, which we then saw translated in 2019 into the essentially into the, the European um, Common Fisheries Policy change, which was the discard ban and the landing obligation. So like two really significant pieces of legislation that came about from huge public pressure. Um, to, to, to make that happen, which has now created a whole wave of innovation and technology and, and startups in the space that help the industry adapt to that change in regulation because it has to happen, right, for, for value to stay there. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think we know that, that anything that changes in a regulatory sense is like a 10, 15 year lead time, if you're lucky, pretty much. I mean, plastic has shown that that's slightly different, like that's been accelerated massively because of the huge 
huge public reaction to to sort of the stories that have been coming out and like the pressure that has just been unrelenting, which is great. Um, but in other sectors, it does take a bit longer. So there's that bit of that lag. Um, but yeah, it has to stay there because otherwise things won't change. And it, it can be beneficial in terms of, of then starting up impactful businesses that can help to bridge that gap in, in industry ability to change um, because you have these sort of behemoth companies sometimes because they are huge supply chains and stuff that is just not agile for, you know, at the moment for understandable reasons. But those reasons become less and less understandable as technology changes and catches up and we can do things like track supply chains more easily or understand how to leave fish in the sea which is beneficial for everyone. It's beneficial for business because sustainable business isn't sustainable if it's a one-way street. Like if we're taking more than we than we leave or put back, like it's just not going to last and it's short-term thinking. And, and that's where this sort of loop of policy, technology and business can really start to work to make sure that we can do stuff into the future and everyone benefits. Absolutely. Did You, you know, speaking about regulation, there's, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, the EU's um, probably at the forefront of, of regulation around bycatch. Um, that leads me to ask, I mean, when you think about your sales pipeline and your, your future customers and current customers, is, is the number one um, approach to safety net for regulatory reasons? Or are we seeing... Um, more proactive operators come forward and look at um, reducing their bycatch as a way to actually put them in front of the competition rather than just keep up with regulation? So initially, the first biggest driver was, was regulation. And um, yeah, I mean, we've seen this manifested in different ways. Like the EU, it's very much a, yeah, if you catch this and you bring it back, which you now have to, um, you could be penalised for this or you could lose your quota, your ability to fish on an individual level. Interestingly, in the US, what we've seen is a much more um, sort of community-minded model, which is really interesting. Like if the whole fishery, basically, across all the boats has a certain quota of bycatch they can catch. And if any one vessel catches over that amount or takes the whole, whole cohort over that amount, the whole fishery has to shut down. So the interesting thing there is in Europe, it's a very personal thing. It's like if I catch too much, I will get stopped from fishing. In the US, it becomes like a, a pre-competitive thing, right? Everyone is discussing very openly how as a fishery do we fix this? Because if 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 I do it or you do it, we all suffer, right? And we all leave money on the table. And so actually in terms of a mechanism, it's become really interesting because people are like super open about discussing bycatch in the US and they know the problem and they know what will happen if anyone gets it wrong. And so they're like, hey, if it works for me, please sell it to my competitor or my neighbor because it helps us all in the long run. And we are seeing those massive drivers. And, and in addition, through certification schemes, like you see like the MSC and, and things, there's like four or five fisheries certifications out there now. Um, other market-led reasons are also there, right? So you want to sell into Walmart now, you're going to need to show that you've got MSC compliance because it fits with their, their model around. I mean, Walmart are huge in terms of funding fisheries improvement schemes, right? So... Um, Essentially, yeah, there's a, a kind of a double-edged thing. And now we are finally getting some companies that are just like, we just want to fish better. And they're rare, but when they come and want to work together, they're excellent because they're driven by more, I mean, they'll find a business upside because they have to for their shareholders, but they're much more like, we, we want this to work. And so they're a bit more patient. They'll work with you to get things right. Um, and that can be super useful for a company that's finding its feet because it gives us the case studies that we need to go out there and show other people that it works. 
Yeah, absolutely. They're your, you know, they're your early champions, right? You want to get as many of those as possible. Tell me um, a little bit more about, obviously, you, you know, you've been at it for 10 years, but so there would be many, um, you know, no line is straight in, in startup land. And um, I'm sure you've um, changed tack more than, more than once or twice. What are some of the, uh, you know, what are some of your key achievements that you're, you're proudest of during that time? And, and on the flip side, um, what are some of the, the major challenges that you've, in, you've encountered? Oh, great question. Uh, yeah, so I think okay. Let's start with the let's start with the achievements. Um, the I, I think the the biggest thing that anyone who's who's working on a mission will tell you probably is is attracting awesome people to come and work with you on it. I think is is huge. Like when you can get to the point where you can say to people, "This is what we're doing." It, I think it's important. I think we can get some resources and also tell other, convince other people that's important. Why don't you commit some of your time and your energy to come and doing this with me or us? And, and when they join and you see that they're working on the stuff that, that you're all trying to now change together rather than something else, it's like, wow, this is super cool. Like these guys could be doing a whole bunch of other stuff, but they're doing this because they believe in it. And we're actually making real progress. That's the best feeling in the world. I think like getting people working together is awesome. Um, I think in sort of in tandem with that, like the wider sector in terms of getting company buy-in from your end customers or people who, who are really affected by the regulation and stuff, like when they approach you and they say, we've seen what you're doing and we'd love to know either how you can help us or we can help you is really awesome as well because it sort of validates a bit what you're doing and shows that you've communicated it in a way that makes sense to more than just like, we need to make the world more sustainable and, and, and fish better. And there's, there's that sort of different levels to it. And then clearly, like as a hardware company for us, like when we get it to go down to like 200 meters or 400 meters or it lights up properly or the batteries charge or whatever, um, like that's really thrilling. Because like when it, when yeah, it, goes yeah, down it works, net, exactly, it goes on the first fishing net and it doesn't come back in pieces. And then you realize like we've got this one crowning photo where Tom Rossiter, our sales lead, went out on a, sales bo uh, on a boat and this huge boulder went through the fishing net and Pisces was on there and we're like, oh God, it's, that's it, it's dead. And, uh, and it came back up and Pisces was still attached. It was still fine. Like it was basically unscathed and still working. And, um, and it's like, wow, no, that's cool. Like, well done team, that's amazing. Like you've got this thing to, to survive and be good. And so that's obviously a huge high. Like, and when you get your first test results and you see the science, you see like the, the control versus the experimental with the lights and you see that actually it's done something useful. That's a great moment as well um, because it's doing its job. But yeah, um, and, and maybe on the flip side, one of the key challenges you've encountered is times where you've sunk it to the bottom of the ocean and it hasn't come back up or it did blow up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, and blow up, yeah. I mean, like, the very early days, I have to say, like, I'm going to absolutely, like, caveat with the fact that we've now moved on and the technology has progressed a lot. But yeah, there were times, like, when it would implode, uh, like, when the pressure just, like, like crushes it. Um, there were times when the electronics would fail and it would just stick itself on some random light pattern and you're like, what, what, what's going on here? Um, and so, yeah, those technology failures were definitely present on the way. And we, we actually frame those devices, like the ones that come back that have failed, we keep them to make sure that we, that we know what went wrong. Like you've got to learn from that stuff 
as long as you have like t- tolerant partners. But in that same note, I'd say like on the, the sort of the downsides or learning experience, I guess you could frame it as there is a degree of like starting a company or a project and loneliness is a huge thing, right? Um, you have a lot of drive and motivation and there's this whole sphere of people around you that want to help and like reach out, but that help can be very limited. Like, I mean, it'll be a particular thing someone wants to do. And at the end of the day, they go back to their own thing and you're still left trying to drive this thing and keep it going and have the energy and the lack of sleep and all this stuff to actually keep it moving. And it can be incredibly lonely. And like when you're having to make decisions all the time and not bouncing it off other people, that that can be really hard because you've only got yourself to really say like, does this make sense? And if it doesn't, then, you know, it's one person involved. And so that can be really hard to keep that going and that motivation. Um, and, and, you know, like when a, when a project doesn't work out, you've put loads of effort, loads of work in, the teams work really hard and stuff happens and everything goes. And the thing that you were trying to achieve, whether it's a change in selectivity or something else like that, if that doesn't go the first time, you're like, okay, well, I guess we have to figure out what we do next and keep that energy there. And that can be quite dispiriting, but whether it's technical or science failure or whatever, um, it can be really, you, you've got to keep going and it's, it's a lot of work to, to keep mm-hmm. that energy there. You know what? Congratulations to you uh, for going it alone for what, six of the 10 years. I mean, that's, that is extraordinary. And I really identify with um, that feeling of loneliness and it's it's really good to see in the world now that we're not just in the ocean space but across um, the startup landscape we are starting to see an increasing um, drawing of attention to founder well-being and the importance of founder well-being there's been you know a lot of I think for too many years there um, there was there was so much pressure on founders to deliver results for their investors and and it was a case of, I just need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more, and all this external pressure. And it was almost, um, you know, in some circles, I think working to the point of exhaustion became, at some point became like a badge of honour. And, yeah. um, you know, ha- what a ridiculous scenario, really. And it's it's fantastic that we're talking about it now. Um, and, I can, and I can only imagine how good it felt to bring on your co-founders um, after going it alone for such a long period of time must have been a fantastic feeling. It really was. And I, I mean, we talk about the challenges that people are facing, like we talk about sustainability and that doesn't just apply to the problem that we're trying to fix. Like it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like these are long-term big, big problems with behavioral change at the core. And that ability to keep working, to change that takes a huge amount of time and effort. And if you can't keep going, you're just going to burn out and like then you step away and who's going to do it, right? I think bringing co-founders on is is phenomenal. Like you've got people there that that you trust um, that are working towards the same thing with a different skill set and can complement each other. And for, for me, actually, and for safety, and that, like one of the biggest complementary skills we needed was someone who who was able to bring the, the amount of relevance to that sort of well-being issue that you mentioned. Um, so, so Nadia, when she joined, like a huge focus of hers was making sure that the company respected people's like energy and time and ability to work and made sure that we could do our best work. Um, but also just understanding that, yeah, what we're doing is hard and it doesn't have to be all out all the time. And you can say no to things and you can say this is beyond our capacity. And Aaron, was similarly, Aaron, who's a CTO, similar approach, like 
I would agree to projects and he'd be like, we, you know, we literally don't have enough people to do that, right? Like we can't, we can't do that project because we don't have enough capacity or time. Like we're going to be working crazy days. And between the three of us getting to a point where we could say, okay, this is what we can actually physically achieve or we can do with the resources that we have. And these are the most important priority things that we can do. Um, made it much more effective because then you're coming to work and you're excited and interested and you can actually sit down and do something with some focus rather than being like, I had two hours sleep last night because the investor told me they wanted this or that. And it becomes much more of a conversation and a much more transparent conversation about like what people's needs are and, and really the priority side of stuff. And then you have to make that work because it's not going to work for the long term otherwise. Mm. And it's particularly relevant in, in this this space and you know i've got a saying that i talk about with with tim and, and others that sustainability um starts with us you know you're no good to anyone or any particular problem that you're trying to impact if you're not looking after yourself um first and foremost um so that you can you can continue doing the great work that you're doing and in particular that a lot of the time we are looking at problems that are over longer um uh, time horizons than, than normal, right? So you've really got to you've really got to strap yourself in for the long term, and and that starts with looking after yourself. Speaking of um, the long term and 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 staying the course, one thing that we haven't mentioned uh, that we spoke about before we started recording was um, safety net technologies as a hardware as a service model now. So. You have Pisces. It's a it's a hardware de LED device. Um, I believe initially you started off with the idea that you would um, sell these outright to um, fishermen. Talk us through where you're at now with this hardware as a service model. So you're right. You mentioned Nick, that it was a it was a product model to start with, and that was because we thought, yeah, this is a product thing, right? We we send someone a light, we give them some instructions, they put it on and on and off they go. But actually, this element of trust and relationship in the fishing community is huge. It's so, so important. Like, people are doing a really hard job. They're going to sea for like days at a time, uh, really tough conditions. And the last thing that we want to do is make anyone's life more difficult. And so being able to stay in touch with end users and get that feedback rather than just sort of like hand over a box and walk away, like staying in touch and, and hearing back from people and creating that loop where... We can hear how did the hardware perform? Did the science do what you expected? Like were the settings right? Was it easy to use? Um, super, super key. And as a company, as we move towards a more sort of engaged model around data and understanding how to process and use that data from fishing vessels, um, whether it's oceanographic data from the, from the water when they deploy devices and sensors, or simply how it performed and like where, what the goal was when they were putting the technology into the water to then match those things up with the results. Uh, it's it's been incredibly important for us to keep that conversation going because on the upside as well, like you're getting great ideas from the industry through a channel which previously didn't exist. Um, the sort of the previous relationship between science, technology and the industry has been quite fraught sometimes because there can be this vision that, that actually any data that you take off a fishing vessel can end up being used against it in regulation and policy. But where we sit in the middle of that is we have conversations with everyone. And so finding ways to relay that information back and forth in a positive way that actually makes useful change is really where this service element sort of generated from. Like it's service in the sense that we build community with people and trust. And, and it allows other useful beneficial things to come from that too. Like at the end of life, because that relationship is still there, end of life of the product, we can take it back and dispose of it responsibly or 
refurbish it and use it somewhere else. And it, it means it's a more circular approach to how we do business as well. And there's a whole bunch of upsides to keeping that relationship going. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that circularity thrown in there as well. It's um, super important. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, we talk about in the startup landscape, knowing your customer, but it's a, it's a continuing journey, right? And, and, and making the decision to stay with them and um, go down this road gives you the capacity to learn from them and with them over an extended period of time and, and, um, and adjust uh, as you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like if you look at the, the major players in this area, so people like Simrad and Furino, they, they build relationships, right? And from a really business perspective, that's really important because your investors, like one of the key phrases they look for, they're like, what's your annual recurring revenue, your monthly recurring revenue, right? How can you show me that in the future, this isn't just a one-off sale, this is a pattern that you've, that you've figured out with your customers and that you're going to be making this into the future because you have happy customers and that's how your projections are formed. So service absolutely screams recurring anything, right? Because it's, an, it's a persistent thing. Um, and actually that's, we see so many businesses going in that direction on the ocean space, really, it makes sense for it to do the same. Yes, um, absolutely. What um, we're, we're sort of coming towards the end of our, our chat, Dan, and there's a couple of things I'd like to touch on uh, before we do. Firstly, what does, what does the road ahead look like for, for safety net? What are your key priorities over the next 12 to 24 months? So for us, what's really, really exciting about the next couple of years is this idea of precision fishing. So we have moved towards this in the sense that like, we want to go much broader with the technology that we're using and, and affect this, the fishing space in a, in a different way. And that's meant that we've been able to kick off a few R&D projects which aren't aligned with light, for instance. So like looking at different ways we can affect fishing and sustainability. And it gives us a lot more scope to start looping some of those technologies together and bringing in other things that we've seen. So that's really exciting. We've got some good technology development happening in the near future. Um, alongside that, in support of that, we're, we're fundraising. Um, we've had a really good start in terms of getting Pisces to where it is and showing that we can develop a useful product that can be really impactful in a good way for people. Um, and sort of supporting those future developments and keeping the team going after a pretty tough 10 months, to be honest, is, is a, a good reason to be raising funding and like giving us the, the confidence and ability to go and do more with it. So we have this funding round opening for around a million pounds, um, which we're sort of looking into the, the growing ocean space to try and to fill out, which is exciting. I think we're all really keen to go out there and tell the story of what we're doing and why people should be excited too. So things like this really help. Um, and other than that, we've got trials going on. We've got a good pipeline of, of sales this year and, and some things to go and fulfill once we can get back on vessels. Um, Pisces has now arrived. It's, it's sitting on our shelves in the, in the workshop. And we can really go out there and fit them to vessels, hear back from the community what works for them, how the science is doing. And I think it's just going to be a really hands-on year. We're calling it the year of proving it. And it's really like taking it to the market and showing on all fronts, like science, business, usability, that this can do the job it's supposed to do. And then figuring out how we scale that further over the next two years, or rather sticking to the plans that we know. Awesome. So it's a it's a big year, 2021. Um, capital raising, uh, executing on your pipeline, and um, and really taking advantage of what's been this 10 or 11 year uh, year journey, and um, you know making those big next steps. 
Um, if you were able to provide one or two key learnings from your journey as an Ocean Impact founder, put yourself in the shoes of someone that's just starting out, what are some, do you have any tidbits or an anecdote or two uh, key learning that you might be able to um, provide to shortcut um, uh, them or, or, or fast track their progress somewhere? Yeah, I think, so the, the biggest one that I've got that came from my mum, actually, this is apparently a Dutch saying, is you've got the no, go for the yes. So go into any conversation assuming maybe that you're going to get the no from someone. But if you need to ask for something, always ask. Like just, because what seems completely completely crazy and unscalable to you as, a, as a, an entrepreneur at an early stage to someone else they might just be like yeah I can make a phone call and do that tomorrow like you want to get on a fishing vessel sure uh, let's get you on a fishing vessel um, but you have to ask right because otherwise no one knows what you need and it kind of ties in with this idea of this like luck surface area so make sure through things like podcasts or articles or friends family whatever you get out there what it is that you're trying to achieve like let everyone know like defending I think people can get worried about people stealing their ideas or, or trying to get there first. And um, yes, you have to bear that in mind and you can be a little bit cautious. But if people, again, people don't know what you're trying to do, um, they can't help you. And like, there's this very little serendipity that can come from a secret. And the more people know about what you're doing, the more people are likely to want to help or be able to help because they just know. Right. And it can be super simple. So I think, yeah, that's really key. So, so let people know what you're up to. Um, and be confident about it. Like if you know something is interesting and exciting, you can you can be quite confident and make sure that you've got some facts around it that you can back it up with. And and like it's not an arrogance thing. It's like explain the excitement that you have, where that came from, and how you justify it to yourself when you wake up on a daily basis. Right? What drives you to do it can be super infectious because people will be like, oh yeah, no, that's super cool. I get that too. But have you also heard about this, or have you thought about that? And yeah. And part of that confidence is knowing when and when not to take that advice as well. That's a big key mm -hmm. one. Like, because people have all sorts of ideas, but you know kind of your critical path. You, you can be open to stuff, but like make sure that you it you don't get swayed too much, I guess, is a big thing. Um, and but I guess probably again the biggest thing that you mentioned earlier, Nick, which is so incredibly important, is that like if you have a mission-driven thing that you're doing, and a lot of it is passion that's coming from you or drive take care of yourself. Like you absolutely are the one driving this. Uh, you, you have to find a way to make sure that you're healthy and driven and have the energy to go and do it because anything that slows or stops you from doing that in a sustainable way means that it's not going to get done. Because if you've truly had this weird, unique idea that you want to go and pursue and show people why it's valuable, like you are going to be the one pushing it for the first year, two years, three years. I mean, for me, it was six or seven years before that traction happened. Um, and you need the energy. You absolutely need to, to make sure you can wake up and keep doing it. Um, and that well-being and health aspect is huge. It's like super, super important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's, um, you know, there's this tendency with startup founders to put their startup first at, uh, at all cost at the, um, at the sacrifice of not only themselves, but their, their families. And it normally takes people a fair while and, you know, damaged health and damaged relationships to work out that it's exactly the inverse, which lets you do your best work as a, as a startup founder. So, yeah, um, very interesting and super important. Um, finally, Dan, how can people out there support you on your journey? You, you mentioned you're raising um, a million pounds shortly. 
Um, is there somewhere that people can contact you where they might um, be interested investors, um, uh, trial customers? Is there, is there uh, deployments in Australia that um, people can possibly reach out to you about if they're interested in, in trialling um, your Pisces product? So the best place to look is is probably, um, well, if you want to get in touch with me, it can be uh, my email address. So dan at sntech.co.uk. Um, you can also find that through our website, which is www.sntech.co.uk. Uh, or Twitter, like any of those places you'll find us on there if you type safety net technologies. Um, so that would be great. Like we're very open-eared and very happy to, to have conversations. Um, from the investment side, uh, yeah, we are raising this round. We'd be really keen to hear from people that like what we're doing, even just have an initial chat about, like, just to give some more details. Um, what's the round look like? Like, what are we doing? Why is it exciting? Give some more stuff there. Does it align with people's particular missions? And from trials, yeah, we would love, absolutely dearly love to do some work in Australia. We have in our species database several species that are fished in Australia that uh, we know we could apply Pisces to like helping out with um, and would love to see how we could do that. Um, it's super easy to fit. Like essentially you give us a call, we do some chatting around the science, like how can that possibly work? We stick some Pisces in the post, get them over to you, have another phone call, how can you fit them to a vessel with some science around it and, um, and, and give it a go really to see what the sort of initial impacts can be. So like, yeah, always open to those conversations. And we actually, I mean, at least in, in your part of the world, we're working with a distributor in New Zealand who might be able to help out there too. So it, it could be a pretty straightforward process. But yeah, and also if anyone, you know, like the ocean space, we see some people out there like the Schmidt family or uh, even um, the, the dudes from Salesforce who like have a big love for the ocean, um, putting money into these things all the time. So if anyone wants to pick up the phone and tell us that they want to help us financially, great. Uh, always, <laughs> always open to those conversations because uh, we are a mission-driven company and trying to help the ocean health. So like, yeah, let us know if you want to help us out in any way, really, whether it's a platform or financially or anything, because, you know, the ocean's, ocean definitely needs help in that respect. And there are people out there who can do it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I mean, look, if what, what was your email address there one more time, Dan, for, for anyone? So it's dan at sntech, so S-N-T-E-C-H dot co dot UK. Excellent. Well, um, you know, let's, very best of luck for your capital raise and for 2021. Let's hope that um, some of these difficulties, practical difficulties around uh, COVID um, start to settle down for everyone. It'd be great to get back to some sense of, um, well, I hate the term normal because normal wasn't that great before, right? That's why we're all here doing what we're doing, trying to change things, but uh, at least some sort of um, steady steady state um, to, to springboard forward and, um, all the best with what you're doing. Um, I think it's fantastic what you're doing. I've got nothing but admiration for uh, the, the length of time you've been at it, um, the team that you've built, the product you've put together. And I'm not sure if I mentioned at the top of the um, recording, but um, the OIO team actually uh, awarded the safety net pitch uh, video. The video itself was our our favourite entrant. You guys did such a great job putting together a really compelling uh, entry under the COVID circumstances. So, um, and it was really clear that that you've built a team that is really behind the mission and um, uh, and you know gets on and um, you know you've got a lot you get a lot of energy out of out of those people and I'm sure they will be a big part of your success in uh, in coming years. 
Thanks, Nick. It's been great to be involved. Like, yeah, really enjoyed talking with you about it. And everything that you guys are doing is is awesome. Like giving a platform to people working in this space um, and, and enabling that message to get out uh, is, yeah, it's so necessary and it's really cool. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Dan. And um, I hope to be uh, keep in touch and hear about your uh, success throughout 2021. Likewise. Cheers. Cheers.